I want you to imagine for a moment that you are speaking to a friend, a close friend or a, a relative who um, you, are, you know it's going to be the last time that you talk to them, for whatever reason that might be, but you know you will never speak to them again. Just think of the different motions spinning around in your mind and in your heart. It would be hard, wouldn't it? It would be emotional. And then you'd ask this question, well, what would you say? What would you say to somebody you love, who you uh, know this was going to be your last few moments with them? Now, a goodbye like that has a, a, a great way of, of sharpening up um, priorities, doesn't it? Pointless things would go out of the window, and we'd really want to talk about things that are weighty and things that matter. You wouldn't be thinking about talking about the weather. You wouldn't really be thinking you know, about what colours are in this season. You wouldn't want to talk about um, who's going to win, I'm a celebrity. Those things might have interesting conversations at other times, but in those moments, what is really important would come to the front, wouldn't it? Goodbyes help us to prioritise. And in this passage, Paul is saying goodbye to a church that he really loves, and a church who he knows he won't see again. And um, it shows us, as he, as he speaks to them, it show, he shows his heart, he shows the priorities of what's important to a church, what should be important to a church, because he knows this is the last time he'll get a chance to talk to them. Now, as this morning we brought in Tim as an elder, uh, and Paul is speaking to elders here, this is one of the reasons I wanted us to look at this, to show the priorities of, of leaders, but as well, this is a, something to say to every single one of us, because it shows us as a church what is important and what should be important to us. As I said earlier, this is the only long speech in the book of Acts that is aimed towards Christians. And so here we have a chance to hear uh, a real priorities of the early church. What was really important? What should be important to us? And if you're not a Christian here this morning, this shows us what we're all about. This shows why you can want to be part of this. So why are we here? What's important to us? Well, we're going to look for four things. They're on the back of the welcome sheet if you wanted to follow along. Four priorities for us as a church, and really priorities in life. The first is this. Truth is important. Throughout this message uh, to the church leaders here, Paul uses himself as an example. He says, you know, you've seen me up close and personal for three years. You've seen what I'm like and what I did amongst you. And what do we see him doing and mentioning here more than anything else? Well, look at verse 20, how he says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you. Uh, 20, verse 21, he testified to Jews and to Greeks. He shared the truth. Verse 27, we see there as well, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So one of Paul's big priorities there was declaring or teaching and preaching the truth. He took God's word and he declared it to them. He shared with them the truth from God's word. Why is God's word so important? Well, you see, without God's word, without the Bible, we're just guessing, aren't we? It's a huge contrast when we come to the Bible. We see things that contrast what all around us the world is telling us. And they can't both be true. So one example is this. If you take God, if we say God doesn't exist, or if we just want to go with what... Um, you know, with, with ignoring him, 
we're told this at the moment. You are just a random collection of molecules. There's no reason for your existence. It's just an accident. There's no purpose behind it. We're all here just muddling through, and it's all random. Or the Bible says this. You are made in God's image. You are honoured. You have a dignity. He loves you. Those two things can't both be true. One is truth, and one's a lie. And so here Paul is saying, I declare to you the truth. There's loads of other things. That's just one example. Loads of other things. But he said, I, I told you the truth. Those two things can't both be true. So when we think about who God is and what he's like, what he loves, what he wants us to do, what he wants us to, how he wants us to live, God's word helps us. Now, maybe you've been in a situation like this. Somebody new has moved into your street. And so it's very exciting because you start to, you know, this, the, the curtains start to twitch. You start to have a look at the things they're moving in. You know, you can't kind of have a look. What is this person going to be like? And don't pretend you don't. I'm sure you've done it if they have moved in. Thinking, oh, what are they like? Who are they? Are they moving in with them? Or are they just helping them move in? You're kind of working all these things out. And then you realize there's a couple. Okay, so you're trying to work out what, what, wonder what their names are. Uh, what do they like? Maybe you think, are they going to be noisy? Are they going to be quiet? Are they going to be friendly? Now, what's going to go on? And then you maybe kind of make up this story about them in your head. I think they have moved down from, say, Scotland, and they love haggis, they love rugby, and they love the royal family. I don't know why, but you just imagine that about them. And then, over the months, you end up speaking to them. You end up finding out their names instead of just guessing. And they tell you, actually, we're from Abercrigan, and we've never eaten haggis, and we're not a big fan of the royals. And you think, all oh, right, okay, now we know. I had this idea of what they were. I kind of made it up, but I was just guessing. But now I've got the truth, because this person has shown me the truth about themselves. We can think all kinds of things about who God is and what he's like. We can think, I think God's like this, or I think God's like this. But really, we're just guessing. And surprisingly, when we do that, God looks a lot like us. When we guess what God's like, he seems to like the same things that we like. He seems to affirm the things that we want to affirm. But that is not the truth. We come to God's word and he tells us what he's like. And so it is so important for us as a church to hold out the truth about God. And look how Paul does it. He does it in, in four ways here. First of all, he said, I, I held it out to you boldly. Verse 20, he says, remember that? He says, I didn't shrink back. And he says that again in verse 27. I did not shrink back. So I, I came to you and I was bold about it. I declared anything, verse 20, that was profitable to you. So he didn't just go out and say, I'm going to upset you for the sake of it, but he did it to build you up, to give you the truth. And he was holding out the truth. And so if we are going to hold out the truth of God's word, it's inevitably going to go against the grain of what many people think. It's inevitably going to come up and, and clash. Because as I said, if, if we're meeting a real person who is God, it's inevitably going to be a clash with who we are and what we are like. And it's inevitable as well that we will end up offending people. The gospel has always offended people. God's word has always gone against the grain. And it's no surprise that it will today either. So Paul was saying, look, I was bold at you. I preached what I, um, what I needed to preach to you. He didn't preach what they wanted to hear. He preached what they needed to hear. You know, so often we want people to like us, don't we? And so the temptation is to twist things to make it sh sound better. 
But what is the heart, at the, you know, one of the main things of the, the message of the Bible is this. We've rejected God. We've gone our own way. We're sinners. We've failed. That is not a very flattering thing to say. And yet, we need to, to hold out the truth. But look how that boldness is done. Look at verse 31. He says, I didn't, seek night or seek, uh, didn't cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This wasn't done in an arrogant way. This was done with a, in a pleading, in a humble, in a way that was full of tears, in, with love. So this is, this is done, and I said in verse 20, done in a way that is profitable for building people up. You know, people know if we love them or not, and we can tell them the truth if we're showing them that we love them. Verse 26, Paul says this, I testify to you this day I'm innocent of the blood of all of you, for I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole truth. His conscience is clear. I didn't skip over uncomfortable things. I preached the truth of God boldly. So that's one of the things he says, look, this needs to be a priority for you elders here, but you see how that applies to all of us? We need to be holding on to the truth boldly. But also it's done widely. Look at verse 20. He tells us um, in that verse again, um, uh, sorry, verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he was preaching and sharing this message of truth with those who believed and those who didn't believe. He was sharing the message to, the, to believers and unbelievers, to the religious and unreligious. He was there speaking to everybody. And what was he saying? He was preaching repentance and faith. Repentance is turning from one way to the other way, saying, look, you're living in the wrong way, you need to turn this way, and faith is putting your trust in Jesus. And you might think, well, that's an obvious thing, isn't it? That's not what churches should do. But it's very easy for us to slip into thinking only about people who trust in Jesus, just thinking about believers. We've got to always be thinking about those who don't yet trust and making, making ways for people to hear and engage with the message of the gospel. We've got to keep that as a, a sharp edge and an important thing for us. That we've got a great message to share, and we share it as widely as we can. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome to hear uh, the message of the gospel. And so we want to keep that in mind, not put any unnecessary blocks in people's way to hearing the message of Jesus. So you see, it's a bold, we need to be bold in holding out the truth, but we need to do it in a wide way as well. But also, um, this was, the truth is important because he did it in a, in a way that was close and he did it closely. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 20. He says, he was teaching you in public and from house to house. So he's done not just from an upfront way, but in your home as well. So that is, there was talk and there was discussion. There was interaction. It wasn't just Paul talking, but there was discussion about things as well. That means it's not enough for us just to hear preaching on a Sunday. That's not going to be enough. We need to talk about it. We need to discuss it together. We need to think, well, what difference does this make to my life? How do I live this out in my life? Um, and we need to hear how God's Word is helping and challenging and encouraging one another. Share with each other. You know, I, I heard this, or I, I read this, and, uh, and this is how I'm, hel how I'm helped by it, or this is how I felt challenged by it. We need to do that together and wrestle with that together. Encourage one another from house to house. Uh, do it in the midweek, not just from Sunday to Sunday. And as we do that, it all helps us to get to know God's word better and to hold on to the truth. So the truth is important. And, and Paul's saying, look, I, I held it out to you. I, I did it widely, uh, boldly, widely, closely. And the last thing in this bit is faithfully. Because Paul warns them, look at verse 29 and 30. 
there are false teachers um, incoming. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw people away uh, from the dis- away the disciples after them. Now, um, in the first century, shepherds would have had to be vigilant because there were wolves who would want to attack the sheep, and so they'd have to be on their guard because they didn't want wolves taking and um, eating or uh, stealing their sheep. And Paul is describing the church here as a flock, as we see throughout the New Testament uh, and the Bible, really. We see God's people described as sheep, and the wolves are there, threatening. And not only are the wolves from outside, but he says, but also from among you. You've got to be careful. And I wonder if you're aware of that. Church can be a dangerous place. We need to be careful, and this is why we need to come to God's Word, because we need to see, is, is it coming from here? We need to be careful and on guard. It's easy to um, sit back and be comfortable, but we need to be on guard and alert because, you know, there are wolves about. Matthew 7, Jesus talks about wolves being in sheep's clothing. Now, the thing about wolves in the Bible and in the church context is wolves don't come in and say, I'm a wolf and I've come to take some sheep. <laughs> now, they come in sheep's clothing, because that would be really obvious, wouldn't it? Now, they come in sheep's clothing, and so we need to be prepared and ready and on guard. So, we need to get to know God's Word so we can hear, hang on, that doesn't ring true with what's true in God's Word. So, you read that in, say, Revelation 2. You read it in 2 Timothy. You know, false teachers will come in. You need to be careful. They're going to teach against the gospel, drag you away from Jesus. So, we need to keep close to the truth and be um, faithful to it. Now, this is a priority saying, look, elders need to guard the flock, look after the flock, and as well, we all need to be alert and aware of these things. How do we do that? Well, again, as I said, we come back to God's Word, check everything. Is, is the, show me where. Show me where that is in the Bible. And that's how we sp- stay protected. Look at verse 32. I commend you to the Word of His grace. We come back to God's Word, the Word of His grace, to protect us and help us and keep us uh, on the truth. So, that's the first thing, and that's the longest thing, okay, that we're going to look at. The priorities, and Paul said, look, I spent loads of time with you, helping you to understand the truth. The second thing we see is this, transformation. Truth is important, but also transformation is important. So, Paul lived by example. He taught it, but he lived it. Look at verse 18 and 19, you see that? Um, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. He said, you saw how I lived. I lived with humility. I wasn't proud and arrogant. I lived with tears. I loved you and I cared for you. I went through real trials for the sake of Jesus. You know, in Philippians 2, Paul describes uh, our attitude should be to others. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Paul is saying, look, that's how I lived among you. I, I did that. It wasn't false. It was genuine. It was real. And that's why in verse 28, he says to the leaders, he says, look, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. There needs to be this integrity of life. What we say is what we do. And he did that in a way that, verse 33, you see verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. He didn't come in making money out of it, as some of the speakers and uh, preachers would do back then. 
He wasn't sponging off them. He wasn't in it for the money. He says, look, you know how I, I, I worked to keep myself going. And he was generous, verse 35. He uses Jesus' words there. It's more blessed to give than to receive. He's saying, look, I, I lived in a way that was in line with what I said. And that is hugely challenging, isn't it? Paul lived among them. He didn't just preach the gospel, but he lived it out as well. See, living for Jesus, this is for leaders as well as all of us, isn't just an, it's not an outward performance, but it needs to change our hearts and our lives. So what we are when no one's looking is the real us. And your life is being changed and transformed. It's a big part of the gospel. Now, if you look at um, uh, the film Titanic, have you seen the film Titanic? Yeah, that was made by a man called James Cameron. And he, um, he said, look, the Titanic is a metaphor of life. We're all living on the Titanic. It's interesting, isn't it? What does he mean? Well, I didn't know that until I heard this this week. So this is something I learned this week. When the Titanic was set sail in 1912, it was de declared unsinkable. We know that bit, don't we? Very famous part of it. And it was constructed using this new technology. And the ship's hull was divided into 16 watertight containers. And um, the, the plan was that up to four of these compartments could be damaged or even flooded, and the ship would still float. So they thought, we're protecting ourselves. We, we can't sink. Uh, but as we know, the Titanic did sink on the 15th of April, 1912. Over 1,500 people died. And at the time, what they thought was, well, five watertight compartments must have been ruptured in the collision with the iceberg. That, that's what must have happened. But when, in 1985, they, they got the wreck of the Titanic and they saw what happened, they saw that actually it was only one gash in one hull. It hadn't ripped across a lot of them. One place had been exposed, and that meant that every compartment was then affected, every compartment flooded. And this is how Rick Warren, um, a pastor in America, kind of applied this. He said this, People think they can divide their lives into different compartments and do with what they do in one won't affect the rest. But a life of integrity isn't divided into, into compartments. See the thing? Now, maybe there's an area in your life and you're saying, I'm keeping that from God. And we think it won't affect anything else. But it does. Everything's connected. And so Paul is saying, keep a watch of yourselves. Your, our lives need to be different. Um, and we need to live in a way that honors Jesus in every way. Is he Lord? We think about King this morning. Is he Lord? Is he boss in every area of our lives? Is he the Lord? Maybe Jesus is calling you today to repent of that and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And the joy is this. There's hope and forgiveness today. You know, we can hear that and we, we can think, oh, well, I, I, I don't live in that way. But there is joy and forgiveness because remember how Paul describes God's word? It is the word of his grace. Isn't that wonderful to know? God in his love today might be reminding you and saying, look, this isn't in line. I love you too much. You might be on a, on a sinking path if you don't deal with this. And in his love, he's saying, look, let me show you. You need to deal with this. You need help here. You need to uh, bring this to the light. So, he says, um, live in a way that honors me in every area of your life. Now, it could be a painful warning, but it's a loving warning because transformation is important in our hearts and in our lives. So, truth is important. Transformation is important. The third thing is this, relationships are important. So Paul is about to leave, and he's told them, look, 
this is the last time that I'm going to see you. Do you see that in verse 25? He says, um, this is the last time that you will see my face. You won't see me again, he says. This is it. It's going to be, uh, I'm going to Jerusalem, and there um, I know that hard times await. And so what does he do? Well, look at verse 36 down to 38. And when they'd said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, and being sorrowful, most of all because the word he'd spoken, that they would not see his face again. See, there was, there was heartbreak. What does that show us? This wasn't just a business relationship. This wasn't just a, a kind of, um, right, we'll see you, we won't see you again, but goodbye. But there was a closeness to their bond, a depth to their relationship. There was a connection there, so that when they were aparted, it was heartbreaking. And this shows us something so important about church life, that as believers, we are connected to each other in a deep way. If you're a Christian this morning, you're connected to other Christians in a deep, deep way. Uh, We have a deep spiritual connection. Think if you're a Christian, the Bible says that you have the Spirit of God dwelling within your heart. And that means that other Christians have the same. You have a deep connection. That's why you could go to a church on the other side of the world and you can meet brothers and sisters, and you will know if you've had that experience that there's this, this connection that you have, a depth of connection that you can have with a stranger because you know that you've got the same Heavenly Father. You know, when you pray with other people, when you have cried with other people, when you have shared your struggles and your burdens with others, when people have seen you go through the struggles of life, it helps bond and, and bring this deeper connection, doesn't it? You know, as a church, we're praying through with this particularly, aren't we, at the moment, saying, Lord, we want to be um, close together as a church. We want to have a closer relationship with one another so we can help and encourage one another. Let's pray, well, how could I do that? How could I uh, deepen friendships and relationships with others? How can I help and support others in their time of need? How can I make this so it's not just a a one-day-a-week thing where we see one another, but a deeper support and help and encouragement. You know, maybe you know that you have a tendency to keep your distance. When God's Word is, is clear about the danger of trying to do it alone, we'll, we'll just struggle. We need one another. We need help. We need support. And we need to be careful that we don't isolate ourselves. You know, God gives us the church to help and encourage each other. And so we need to deepen our relationship because relationships are important and a natural part of being part, a healthy part of a church. So truth is important, transformation is important, relationships are important, and the last thing is this, sacrifice is important. Paul knew that there were tough, tough times ahead for him and ahead for the church, but he modelled what it looked like to live in a sacrificial way. So verse 18, again there, he tells us about the plot of the Jews that was there. And he says, you know, you know that they're after me and they want me to take my life away from me. And look what he says so painfully in verses 22 and 23. I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the, Lord, the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that his imprisonment and afflictions await me. I'm going to Jerusalem. He says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I might end up being put in prison. I might end up being killed. But he keeps going. 
He knew he was coming. He could have gone another way. He could have stayed somewhere where he knew he was safe. But he knew he had to keep going. Now, when you become a Christian, uh, the reality is that is, uh, it's a road and a path of deep joy and uh, peace and satisfaction. All of that is part of being a Christian, but it's also a hard road. It's a road that will cost a lot. A road that, um, that is costing all over the world, many people, their lives today. And so today is a reminder to us that when we trust in Jesus, we are called to take up our cross. What does that mean? When Jesus took up his cross, it meant he was giving his life. He was laying down his life for the sake of others. And we're called to do the same. We're called to say no to self and yes to Jesus. How did Paul do that? Look at verse 24. I don't, he, said, he said, I don't count my life of any value, nor precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. He said, but I, I'm nothing. It's all about Jesus. I'm going to lay down my life for him. The gospel had totally caught him. He saw how great and wonderful Jesus is, and he said, I'm living for him. That's all that matters. Jesus is worth it. There's a man in Iran called Mehdi Dibaj, and um, in 1984, he was put in prison because he'd become a Christian from an Islam, Islamic background. And so he was in prison, and he was going to face the death sentence. He was there for, for 10 years, and this is the, the written statement that was read out in court. You know, if he'd have turned away from Jesus, he could have walked free. But instead, he wrote this statement. Jesus Christ is our saviour, and he is the son of God. To know him means to know eternal life. I'm a useless sinner and have believed in this beloved person and all his words and miracles, and I've committed my life into his hands. Life is an opportunity to serve him, and death a better opportunity to be with him. Therefore, I'm not only satisfied to be in prison for the honour of his holy name, but I'm ready to give my life for the sake of my Lord Jesus. Now, in 1994, a lot of Western countries put pressure on Iran then to, to release him. And they did release him, but not long after his body was found um, in a park in Tehran, believed to be assassinated. He lived for Jesus, he trusted Jesus, and he said, I'll give my life for Jesus. Now, following Jesus means for us, sacrifice. It means things that we will say no to instead of ourselves we'll say yes to Jesus. And in this country at the moment, it won't mean that we'll lose our life. It won't mean that we'll go to prison. But maybe in a smaller way, God's asking you to sacrifice. In a smaller way, he's saying, what is it that you need to say no to and yes to Jesus? Remember what Jesus said. He says, look, if you seek to save your life, you'll end up losing it. But if you lose your life, you'll end up gaining it. So as we lay down our lives, there's actually a path of real joy. As we say no to self and yes to Jesus, he says there is joy and fulfillment and satisfaction that is beyond what this world can offer. So here is the priorities that we're seeing. What's the priority of the church to be? Truth is important. We hold on to the truth. Transformation is important. Our lives to be different relationships are important. We, we have this close bond. Sacrifice is important. And you think of all that and you think, well, how on earth do we keep that going? You know, how can we do it? Is it really worth it? Or isn't it easy just to give up on all this and just live a comfortable life? Is it worth going through the pain and the heartache of being a Christian? Is it worth it at all? Well, verse 28, I think, sums up why it is worth it. 
Look at verse 28. It says this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. How precious is the church to God? He was willing to give his own blood to purchase it, to buy it, to save it. Now, if somebody gives you something to look after, and they say, oh, would you look after this for me, please? You probably say, yeah, it's fine, fine, I'll, you know, put it somewhere safe, that's fine. But if somebody then takes you aside and they say, can you look after this? Now, please take special care of this. It's really important to me. Now, suddenly, you're, you, that takes on an extra burden, doesn't it? It's like, right, okay, I really need to be careful with it here. See, the church of Jesus Christ isn't just some club. It's not just a random group of people that want to try and be religious. No, it's people that have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. He died and his blood was shed so that you could be forgiven and be right with God. That's how important the church is to him. And so when you think of that personally for you, it means this, that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. That he gave the best that he had because he loved you. How precious are you to him? Look at the cross. Do you feel unloved and rejected and hated? Look how much God loves you this morning. He was prepared to give everything for you. I don't know if you've seen the TV series, The Band of Brothers. It's about a group of men in the Second World War, um, soldiers they were. And one of the uh, characters in that is a doctor working in the trenches. And he was um, in love with a nurse. And one of the jobs he had was to go back, um, he'd look after those who were injured in the field and take them, um, bandage them up, take them to the hospital. And one day when he went to the hospital, uh, this nurse that he fell in love with was there and the building exploded and he sees the body of this nurse that he loved so much and she was dead, but she was wearing a headscarf. So to remember her, this one she loved, he took this headscarf and he put her in his pocket. The next day, he's out on the field of battle, and there's a man hurt in the battle, and he is uh, losing a lot of blood, uh, and they'd run out of bandages. But there's only one thing he's got on him that could bandage up that person. What did he do? He gives this one reminder of the, the woman he loved, and he uses that to save this man who was bleeding to death. He gave something precious to him to save someone, and that shows his love and his care and his sacrifice. What has God done for you to show he loves you? He gave the most precious thing of all, his dear, beloved, eternal son. And he, his blood was shed for you, bought with the precious blood of Jesus. That's how precious you are. That's how precious the church is to God. So when we look around as a church, when we pray for each other, we're praying for people who've been bought with the blood of Jesus. We're to love each other. We're to sacrifice for each other. Even when we're hard to get along with. Even when we wind each other up. We're bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Now see that love. See the love that he has for you. And then we see, now I see, I need to hold on to the truth because he loves me that much. I need to, uh, my life to be transformed by the gospel of God's grace because he loves me so much I can trust him relationships are deep because we know we are loved with that same love and sacrifice well how can i not sacrifice when i see what jesus has sacrificed for me 
So as a church, this is a reminder to us this morning of what's important to us. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. And, and maybe for the first time today, you can say, I want to follow him. I want to be part of this um, blood-bought group of people. I want to be part of the church. Well, the invitation is for everybody. Whatever we've done, whatever our background, God invites us to come and know him and trust in him. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing our last song. Father, we thank you so much for the church of Jesus. We thank you that you have paid such a great price for us to be saved. And as we look around this room this morning, we know there are so many precious people, precious to you. Would you help us to live in a way that shows how precious uh, we are to one another and to show how precious Jesus is to us? We pray, Lord, you would do this for the glory of Jesus, and in his name. Amen. We're going to sing.